I was actually happy to have this after the like downers we've had the last couple chapters. This is a little bit more hopeful, I guess. Still a little right. like annoyance, but yeah, feels like we're too long on the like momentum picking up. I want the momentum to just be speed. It's about drive. It's about power. We stay hungry. We devour. <laughs> Mood. I'm always hungry and devouring. Welcome back, and thanks for listening to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? My name is Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing Chapter 25 of Mad Ship, The Launch of the Paragon. It's finally here. They've worked very hard to tip the ship over on its side, check the hull for anything, do some preliminary repairs, sliding it down to the beach, and now we get the, uh, uh, in detail, the process for which Mm -hmm. they float the Paragon. Yes. The time has come. The the tide has come. <laughs> the tide has come and I'm holding on. That's Paragon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or is that Amber? Ooh, I don't know. They're going to be somebody's number one. <laughs> All right. Anyways, <laughs> we are starting with Brashen. And... Brashen is, of course, worried, and it kind of picks up on the same emotions that they had at the end of their last chapter, where Brashen is stressed, looking at the lack of money that they have, doing the best he can with the dregs of society to find uh, of workers, because he can't really find anybody to work on Paragon that much. Let alone with the wages he has to offer. Right. So slowly, slowly... Now the day has come. Yes. I think it's really important to point out that while we still have a point of view of Brash and being anxious about Paragon, there is a different quality to it, I think. Like last time it felt more, I want to say feverish and frenzied, whereas this time it feels more logical and grounded, I guess. So we definitely, there has been a lot of time passing and it seems as though Brashen isn't suffering as much from withdrawal system uh, or symptoms. Yes. And that's very evident in how clear his thinking is and how, I don't want to say unanxious because obviously he is anxious in this, but it's, it's not the same type of. I'm a failure and everything's going wrong and just assuming things are bad. There is a little bit of that because I think that's his natural character, but it's not so over like overt. And there's no thoughts that say, I wish I had a plug of Sindon right now. Exactly. Yeah. So there's, there's something about the whole, even though it is anxious brashen, something about it is much more calm. Yeah. He says, Repeatedly, his anxiety crested at Paragon's attitude, however. It had shown little improvement during the course of the work. The ship now spoke to them, but his temperament fluctuated wildly. Unfortunately, the spectrum of his emotions seemed to encompass only the darker ones, 
He was angry or bleak, whining miserably or ranting insanely. In between, he sank into a self-pitying melancholy that made Brashen wish the ship truly was a boy simply so he could shake him out of it. Brashen suspected that discipline and self-control was something that the ship had never truly learned. That, he explained to Althea and Amber, was the root of all Paragon's problems. No discipline. It would have to come from them until Paragon learned to manage himself. But how did one dis discipline a vessel? The three of them had considered that question over mugs of beer several nights before the peak tide. So now we get a little flashback, but we kind of get a glimpse into Paragon's state of mind. The last chapter with them, he had just started talking again to them. Right. They finally kind of brash and bullied him into talking with the uh, <laughs> splashes of water to his face. Right. But his mood has not improved at all. And now a couple days ago, a couple days before they're launching the Paragon, they kind of discussed what they had to do to try to get Paragon to work with them. Yeah, no, and it's definitely a hard task ahead of them. They do have, it. it isn't a child, even though Paragon is acting like a child, it's a ship and right. you can't exactly put a ship in timeout. So, <laughs> so it's really hard to decide how to help Paragon. Cause I think that's what this is stemming from. Right. I don't think this is, we need to punish him. This is a, we need to help Paragon learn to regulate his emotions. Right. And they have that discussion too. Right. Later on. But yeah. yeah. But no, I definitely think it is a, a tough a discussion they're having here. I did also want to say that whenever, uh, whenever Brashen is describing Paragon's current moods and how he's acting, I thought it was really funny that it kind of describes Fitz a little bit. And so I was wondering if this whole... Um, he was angry or bleak, whining miserably or ranting insanely. In between, he sank into self-pitying melancholy that made Brashen want to wish he could shake him. Yeah. It just feels very fits. And so I'm like, I wonder if this is the moment that Amber's like, Oh, I should, if I can carve his face, I'd make it look like Fitz. Oh, home sweet home. <laughs> just like somebody else I know. So that's all I could think when this is happening, because we do know as rereaders, obviously that eventually Amber will be able to reshape his face into Fitz's likeness. And I'm like, well, they, I mean, they're not the same person, but I see the similarity. <laughs> <laughs> so during this day when they were discussing the, this discipline, Paragon was at one of his worst. He was throwing tantrums like a baby, throwing sand. And since he's on its side, he has an unlimited supply to grasp in his hands. So Brashen is kind of observing everybody and they have sand caked everywhere because of the sweat of the day as well. And they're just sitting trying to ignore him, and Althea shrugging one shoulder. Brashen could see black, gritty sand trapped along her hairline. What can you do? He's a bit large to spank. You can't send him to bed, let alone without any supper. I don't think there is any way to discipline him. We may have to resort to bribes. And now, speaking on what you brought up, Amber mentions here, you're speaking of punishments. The issue is discipline. Althea looked thoughtful. I suppose they are two different things, though I don't know how you separate them. I'm ready to try anything to make him behave. Can you imagine the difficulty of sailing him as he is? If we don't make him more tractable soon, all of this work will have been for nothing. 
Ration voiced his deepest fear. He could turn on us. In a storm, or a confrontation with pirates, he could kill us all. In a lower voice, he forced himself to add, He's done it before. We know he is capable. He says that, well, he brings up that it's one topic that they've never really openly discussed. Paragon's madness is something that's with them every single day, and they speak on aspects of it, but never bluntly considered it in its entirety. Even now, a silence followed his words. So that's where it comes in, where uh, your difference there between punishments and discipline, Yes, what you were mentioning before. Althea doesn't have the wisdom of the years and is just thinking, oh, it's the same thing. Discipline yeah. and punishments are the same thing. And Amber points out, like, no, we, we don't need to, like, hurt him. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think it's hard because... In a way, what Amber does is punishment. Yeah, it is. But I think it's not a physical punishment, which is more what she was trying to get at, that Mm -hmm. disciplining someone does not need to stem from hurting them and going out of your way to like physically discipline them. It's just more setting boundaries and saying, hey you've crossed a boundary and so you do not get rewarded for that behavior. Yeah, and and Amber clarifies saying discipline must come from within himself. He must desire to be cooperative and that desire is only going to be based on what he wants. Ideally, we can hope that that is something we can either provide or deny him based on his behavior. She sounded troubled as she added, he's going to have to learn there are consequences for bad behavior. Brashen smiled and said, That will be almost harder on you than it is on him. I know you can't stand to see him unhappy. No matter how rotten he is, you always go to him when the evening comes to talk to him or to tell him stories or play music for him. Another play music there, Uh I noticed. Amber looked down guiltily, toying with the fingers of her heavy work gloves. I can feel his pain, she confessed. So much has been done to him. So often he has been left with no choices. And he is so confused. He fears to hope for the best, for whenever he has dared to hope in the past, all joy has been snatched from him. So he has made up his mind to believe, from the outset, that every man's hand is against him. He acts to hurt before he can be hurt. That's a thick wall to break through. And so she decides that she has to do what is hardest and hope it is also what's right. Right. This whole thing really feels as though Amber is the parent of Paragon. It's giving very parent vibes. (laughs) Um, But I do like the acknowledgement of you can't just continue as it is. Like something is wrong and we do need to give him consequences for his Mm -hmm. actions. It's teaching that you don't just get what you want all the time, no matter how you act. And so they're trying really hard. It's a good thing that Brashen brought this up because yeah. forced Amber to confront her enabling behavior as yes. well. Yeah. And she approaches Paragon and's like, you misbehave today, so I'm not going to come to you and tell you stories. Right. And I won't come to tell you stories if you misbehave tomorrow. So you better be on good behavior. Right. Which... Paragon, of course, is like, I don't care. I, I hate, hate your you. stories. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you and your stories. You're dumb. <laughs> so not exactly a great start, but you have to start somewhere. 
So that has been done. I do also quick want to go back to the fact that Amber looks at her gloves and says, I can feel his pain Mm -hmm. because as rereaders, we know Amber is beloved. And so quite literally, Amber can feel Paragon's pain. Yeah. With the, the silver on her fingers. Yes. So that's been, I think that's really a really good thing. A little tiny thing to put in there for people to catch. If you, Suspect Amber, and also if you're rereading and like, ah, oh, there it is. There's another sign. It's the fool. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just love that little. I love those little details sprinkled in that you miss the first time around, but this time you're like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> As Althea comes trudging back after that encounter, she says, "Well, that went well. I can see that his behavior will improve in no time." Sarcastically. And Brashen is fearing in the present day when they're about to launch him into the water that that might come back to haunt them because they need him to cooperate. Nothing more could be done until the tide came in, he says. Everything was ready and in position, and he can't worry about Paragon's attitude at the moment. Too much other things going on. Too many other things. Yeah, and it's not just Paragon they have to worry about attitude-wise. It's body wise as well, because Paragon has been beached for over 30 years and it's really hard to tell on the beach what damage is done to his hull. It won't be until he gets in water that they'll be able to tell what needs to be fixed and how expensive it's going to be. Yeah. He's got a, a system of people set up with flags for signals. There's people in the hull ready to, uh, get on the pumps just in case it starts Mm -hmm. flooding and leaking water. And there's a bunch of uh, other crew that is described here. Yeah. There's also a canvas put down between Mm -hmm. the planks and the crew. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, I forgot to Google before we started this, but I was wondering if that's actually a technique used to uh, slow down water coming in a ship, because I love to imagine Robin Hopp just doing a ton of ship like well, her her research. husband was a sailor, actually. Uh, yeah, her husband right. was a sailor and was gone for months at a time as well. So I think she had a firsthand <laughs> explanation yeah. of some of these things. <laughs> Definitely, for sure. But no, I just thought that it'd be interesting to know, you know, how accurate it is. Right. I would love if anybody knows boats. <laughs> I think I think it is pretty accurate because I think I recall reading some of her interviews about researching a lot for this as well so no definitely and i would not put it past robin hobb to Mm -hmm. have done the research obviously i think she's more than capable and it absolutely is yeah yeah a lot of authors like the research part yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) putting in those little details finding a way (laughs) so yeah no i but i do i did find that interesting because it's like oh it seems silly to add that but also that's probably a real world thing And so you might as well just add that in there to give it more of that depth and real world feel. Mm -hmm. So Brashen is worried about the hull of the Paragon and is worried and thinks maybe he might even have to re-beach Paragon on the other side to re-caulk and kind of fix up the hull if it's leaking too much water. He hoped not, but was resigned to do whatever he must to make the ship seaworthy. He heard a light step on the sand behind him. He turned to find Althea squinting out at the barge. She nodded when she saw the man on watch there. He jumped when she patted his shoulder. 
Don't be so worried, Brash. It will all come together. Or it won't, he muttered sourly in reply. Her touch and reassurance, the affectionate shortening of his name, startled him. Of late, it seemed to him that they were resuming the casual familiarity of shipmates. She at least met his eyes when she spoke to him. It had made the work situation more comfortable. Like himself, she probably realized that this voyage would demand their cooperation. It was no more than that. He resolutely quenched the brief spark of hope that had kindled. He kept the conversation centered on the ship. So, yeah, this is a... I just wanted to read that out and touch on that briefly because that's what Amber and Althea had discussed before as well, where Amber's like, um, you are not playing this right. <laughs> Don't be so mad at Brashen when you yourself are also to blame for things. Right. At least talk to him because you're going to have to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, and also just that, like... Stop making it so weird. Like yeah, exactly. you're making this weirder than it needs to be. Just be chill. <laughs> and she really did take that advice. And clearly it has a little bit confused Brashen, but Well, yeah, if somebody is going from <laughs> not, never even looking at you or addressing you when they're talking to you to all of a sudden being like, Oh yeah, hey Brash. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was quite that quick. But, right, yeah, yeah. but I do think, yeah, it definitely is jarring and they're definitely still missing good communication, but it is nice. It's much improved. Yes. And even though Brashen is confused by it, he is still appreciative and he is trying to keep himself from assuming that it's any sort of affection on her part. This is just right. a friendship rebuilding. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually do really appreciate that because I think it's good that he isn't just like, oh, finally she's back into me. It's, it's not, and it's not overtly like I'm not worthy of Althea. So I like this like weird, I don't really know what this is, but I'm just going to assume it's friendship until further notice. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I appreciate it. So he asks her where she wants to be for this and briefly thinks in his head that it was already agreed upon that Amber is going to be by Paragon's figurehead because they have the best connection. And Amber can keep Paragon calm the longest. And Althea replies, where do you want me? Humbly, she yes. asks. Yeah. Wow. Which, again, Brashen's like, who is this? Character <laughs> development here. Uh, he hesitates but thinks about it and says, I'd like you below decks directing the, the pump guys down there and to like seal and recock the hull. So that's, he that's where you can best direct the efforts. Yes. And he mentions that he understands that she wants to be above board but he wants somebody that he can trust down there that mm -hmm. he knows understands what's going on and how to command people which i think is really nice and something that we a little bit skimmed over is that he kind of has a lot of worries about this crew because they not a lot of them have been tested right and so there's very few people he trusts as it stands on the ship and most of them aren't even going to be on the ship while this is all happening. They are on the rocks following his command to talk to the people in the barge or the people in the barge. But kind of the other people are, they're probably fine, but he just doesn't know them well enough yet. And so I do really like that aspect of Althea, it's because I trust you that I'm not letting you get your way because I think you would be better suited for this role, which I, I really feel like is something Althea 
needs and also would respect more than just, oh, let me give you your way. Or, oh, I'm just putting you here to get you out of the way. Right. It's, I trust you and I need you there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She agrees, starts to walk away, and he says, Althea. She turns back and asks if there's anything else. He ransacked his mind for something intelligent to say. All he wanted to ask her was if she had changed her mind about him. Good luck, he said lamely. To us all, she replied and left. And the waves start coming in, and it's time. So no more thinking, no more talking. It's uh, time to start yelling out commands. Yeah. More importantly, no more worrying. Yes. (laughs) Because what's going to happen is going to happen, and there's no time left to worry. And then we jump over to Paragon's point of view for the, uh, the, uh, um, getting into the water the process. Yeah. Yes. They had shoved him down and weighted him and now they would let the waves swallow him. Oh, he knew what they said that they were going to refloat him, but he didn't believe them. He knew this was his punishment coming at last. They would weight him down and pull him out under the water, and then they would leave him there for the serpents to find. It was, after all, what he deserved. The Ludluck family had waited a long time, but they would finally take their vengeance today. They would send his bones to the bottom, just as he had done to their kin. You're going to die too, he said with satisfaction. Amber perched like a seabird on his cockeyed railing. She had told him over and over that she was going to stay with him through the whole thing, that she wouldn't leave him, that everything was going to be fine. She'd find out. When the water finally rushed over them and pulled her down, too, she would would find out how wrong she had been. Did you say something, Paragon? She asked courteously. No. He crossed his arms on his chest again and held them tightly against his body. Is there a typo in your book by the way when he says uh, when the w- water finally rushed over them and pulled her down she too or she would found out how wrong she had been is in my book yeah mine too i have that typo yeah. she would found out i didn't even notice that while reading normally i circled the typos <laughs> so yeah he's still in a an extremely paranoid state of mind he is thinking that this is his punishment finally Right. It's come at last. Uh, And what Amber said about him really rings true here, that he doesn't allow himself to have any hope whatsoever. Right. Because he's been hurt so many times in the past that it's something that he can't give himself. Because if he does, he'll just break apart once again. Yeah, no. And it is really sad because you have this clear trauma happening with him where even with amber it's you know she would find out too she'll find out when uh, yeah. when the time comes that she'll die too that's what they were planning on doing all along right and i do find it interesting that i guess even in this distrust in this sense of no you guys are lying to me he does have trust for amber in saying she's gonna drown with him mm-hmm he thinks that she'll follow him. He, he he doesn't include Amber in the rest of the scheme against him. Right. That they've also tricked Amber. Yes. And that's what it feels like at least. Yeah. And I, I really find that aspect interesting because we have 
it shows definitely how much Amber means to Paragon and the good relationship that they have. But it also shows that he can't even admit to himself that he does care about Amber or trust Amber because he can't imagine Amber being the one to betray, leaving him alone and drowning him. But he also doesn't, won't tell her that, you know, like he's not going to be like, oh, I know that you don't know. It's very much like, oh, you'll all (laughs) see. I don't know. I just, oh, it's so sad. I feel really bad for him in this moment. And of course it's traumatic. I mean, he hasn't been at sea in a while. And last time he was at sea, it wasn't great. You know, he not, he's, he's not had the best time being a boat or a ship. So I can understand his worry. And I do wonder, and I wanted to ask you this, do you think the idea that they're going to go back on their word, they're tricking him to try to drown him. Do you think that this comes from his promise to Kenneth to disappear and that's what he's talking about with punishment? Or is is it potentially stemming from who Kenneth is? Because this does mirror, I feel like, how Kenneth gets when right. he's spiraling of everybody's out to get me, I can't trust anybody. His paranoia, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Is is there something this something to do with Kenneth or I mean probably because there's parts of Kenneth in Paragon, right? Right. He took all of Kenneth's hurt, basically. And it's also has to do with the promise, because that's all that Paragon thinks about, how he failed, right? He failed right. to kill himself. So this is something that like, oh yeah, I don't actually want to die or go to oblivion, but right. I deserve it. And right. here it comes finally at last, you know? So yeah. I, I don't know. It's just kind of a sad sentiment to read, but Definitely. that's what Paragon is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes me happy that Paragon gets a better ending, you know, like it gets better. Right. It's still never amazing, but it does get better. He's a happy ending. Turns into his dragons. Yeah, I guess that's... But while he is Paragon the ship, mm. I feel like... I mean, and he is happy with Brashen and Althea, right? Like, Yeah, because he's whole. Kind of dies yeah. in his arms, you know, and mm-hmm. he, they become whole once again. Right. But I do wonder if it's just... I don't Because he still struggles with his memories. They yeah. Even in the later books when we see him, he's still kind of arms crossed has is moody and you know a little bit dangerous <laughs> Too much sometimes. tragedy on his deck and in, in general i think to be completely carefree yes you know? yeah so i guess that's what i mean it's just that he get he gets better and it's yeah. a good life but i feel bad that we can't erase all of his hurt which <laughs> is unrealistic and not you know yeah find another book Emma. yes <laughs> <laughs> this is not the series for that <laughs> well paragon speaking of hurt is a little scared at all of the water kind of creeping in and a little bit anxious too, a little bit, uh, a little bit excited for this to happen. You don't, he doesn't really say it out loud, but it's, Oh, this wave. Now it's going to be this wave that'll float. And he's just kind of waiting wave after wave. I do want to quick read a section. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to preface this with a while ago, like, first or second book that we did with Fitz, somebody wrote in and let us know that 
Robin Hobb is one of the people who cannot visualize things in their mind, which is something Robin Hobb has gone on record to say and wanted to know if we thought that she did a good job of describing things Mm. And we said that we'd keep an eye out for it. And I feel like it's something that's really hard to keep an eye out. I've been trying to find passages that do paint more of a picture because I guess as someone who I'm somebody who can imagine pictures in my head. So it just naturally happens. It's really hard to focus on the words that make that happen. But I think specifically how it is described the waves are coming in. I feel like it really paints a picture. And so I thought that was interesting. Go for it here. So yeah. And in Paragon's point of view, he says he could feel the water, the full length of its hole. Now the waves pushed at the sand under him like tunneling insects. The ocean worked its greedy fingers up under him. Each wave that brushed him was a tiny bit deeper. He felt the rope from his mast to the barge grow tighter Ration shouted something and the pressure steadied, but did not increase. So I feel like that is so vivid of a picture. That is, yeah. that is. Because I, I, I think it's very vivid because people who have stood on the shore of water and let waves hit their feet have mm-hmm. stood in sand, have felt the sand kind of collapse out underneath their feet as they're standing yeah. there. And I think you can kind of picture that or remember yeah. that feeling. Definitely. But I I also thought it was important because it's not just saying, oh, there's a wave. It's the feeling as well. The fingers grabbing like that sort of the little insects. I feel like that feeling as well really helps build that picture. So I just thought I just thought of it while I was reading this specific section. So I wanted to point that out as I do think that she is capable of writing something in a way that builds a picture despite not being able to picture things in her mind. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty cool. (laughs) So he's waiting for these waves in in an agony of anticipation and fear. Despite all of his expectations, when he first felt that tiny bit of lift, the grating of hull against sand as he floated for a fraction of a second, he whooped in surprise. He felt Amber tighten her grip convulsively. Paragon, are you all right? Suddenly, he had no time for her fears. Hang on, he warned her jubilantly. Here we go. But wave after wave kissed against him, and Brashen did nothing. Paragon Paragon could feel the sand shifting under him as the sea ate at it. He felt, too, a great stone revealed by the retreating sand. Brashen, he called out in annoyance. Get on to it, man. I'm ready. Tighten that line. Have them put their backs into it. He heard how he sounded splashing and Brashen comes up to him and says, Not yet. It's not quite deep enough yet. Cark you if it isn't. Do you think I'm so stupid I don't know when I'm floating? I can feel myself starting to lift on every wave and there's a damn big rock under me. If you don't start moving me down the sand, I'm going to be pounded up and down against it soon. Easy then. Don't get excited. I'll take your word for it. Clef, signal them to get started. Slow and easy now. Screw that. Tell them to put their backs into it now. Paragon countermanded Brashen's order. You hear me, Clef? They had damn well better be listening to him, he thought savagely. He was tired of them treating him like a child. The line tightened, and Brashen calls out heave, and they're starting to work. Yeah, I think this is a really good depiction of, first of all, how quickly uh, Paragon's mood can change, but also 
how much we have underestimated him as a character, I think, because it's really easy to forget that he does know stuff. He, he is he an is adult. A live ship. Yeah. yeah, he's a live ship. He he's been around for a hundred years? Question mark <laughs> that he's been awakened for. So he is capable and knows what he's talking about. And so I really enjoy this little interaction where he's kind of annoyed because it's like, okay, Brashen, do your job. And <laughs> and he's nitpicking and backseat driving for Brashen. And I love that the relationship is there that Brashen's like, whoa, okay, I get that you're excited, but I don't think it's time. But Brashen still does listen. He is showing that trust of, okay, well, if you say it's time to go, then I guess we'll have to. And yeah. I, I really like that. I really like how it shows that they are really close. That this is a good relationship. Right. And I yeah. think, you know, gives that hope for the reader mm-hmm. of good things to come. But Paragon doesn't know everything. And he's worried that the plan that they have set out isn't going to work. He's like, oh, they, this roller, the log that they put under here isn't going to help. It's going to act as a wedge. And it also shows in the next scene that Brashen does know what he's doing. Because yes. he says heave, and all of a sudden he's up on the roller and sliding towards the ocean. Exactly. So. <laughs> uh, Paragon gasps in the shock of it because it's cold. Ghastly cold after his years of lying out in the sun, and he gasped with the shock of it. Steady, steady, it's going to be all right. Take it easy. They'll write you as soon as the water is deep enough. Hang on, it's going to be all right. So he's still kind of on his side, but he's in the water and he's floating right now. Right. And... They need to get him a little bit deeper and they have a buoy set up that he needs to get past before they write him. But Paragon, of course, is blind. He's scared and he's moving. All those years he was blind on the beach in the same familiar surrounds for 30 years. And now all of a sudden he's moving with no sight. So each wave as it hits him is rocking him and... Both design and his own instinct tried to bring him upright, but the counterweight on the mast was holding him over. So he's kind of getting anxious about that, too. He's just like, cut me loose. Right. Let me go. We need to get going. Right. And Brashen's just trying to calm him down. Yeah, there's definitely that scare. Uh, It's scary, you know, to have that unknown and the potential of danger coming that he can't sense. Like you just said, it's not like being still on the beach. Mm-hmm. There was some sense of knowing what was supposed to be around you and being able to sense when things were coming towards him. But now, would he be able to do that? What does that look like? He doesn't even know where he is because he hasn't seen it with his eyes. So he doesn't even have a memory of this. It's just a really scary time and he's starting to panic. And like you said, there is that buoy, but he isn't aware of that. Brashen to calm him is talking him through it, is talking him through explaining there is a buoy. And once we get past that, I will put you upright, but you need to be calm until then. And I think that really hits him of, I can't see that buoy when yeah. like, I just it's have to trust the, it's out of my control. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, definitely a hard time for Paragon to put his faith in Brashen. Mm-hmm. And while that is happening, while that's on upper deck, we have Althea below deck taking control, saying we're not putting on that much water, but still making sure that people are doing their jobs and keeping them in line and is being very firm. Yep. And then... As Paragon is finally wondering, like, why wouldn't they let him come upright? He's kind of getting more scared and more scared without the lack of control. Brashen finally gives the command and slowly 
Paragon rights himself, and then as sudden as a cork, the next wave righted him. Cold water suddenly washed against him and below him on both sides. For the first time in over thirty years, he stood straight and tall. He flung his arms out and gave a roar of triumph. He heard Amber echo it in a wild laugh, even as within him Althea shouted in alarm. Get on those pumps, now! Brashen, let, the, let go the canvas as soon as you can! He heard the thunder of feet and wild shouting, but he didn't care. He wasn't going to sink. He could feel it. He stretched his arms, his back, and his shoulders. As the water bore him up, he extended his awareness throughout his body. He could almost feel how his planks and beams should go. He took a deep breath and tried to bring himself into alignment. He listed suddenly to starboard. There was a cry of surprise from Amber and an angry roar from Brashen. He lifted his hands to his temples and squeezed. It was the same old thing. Something was wrong inside him. His parts didn't go together right. He shifted again, ignoring the groans and the squeaks of his wood as the planks worked against each other. Slowly, he began to stabilize. Dimly, he was aware of the frantic work going on within him. Men manned the pumps, trying to keep up with the, the water streaming in through his sprung seams. He felt the sudden press of canvas against his planking. Althea was shouting at the men inside him to hurry, hurry, get that oakum tamped into place. He could feel his wood starting to swell. Abruptly, he bumped into something, and Brashen was shouting, throw a line, throw a line and make it fast. He's groping around, but Amber starts talking to him through that. And he's just like, yep, we're just tying you to the barge. You're okay. We're just securing you there. You'll be safe here. He's still taking in water and kind of settling lower in it, he could feel, and asks, how deep is it? And Brashen responds to this. Deep enough to float you, not so deep that if you go down, we'll lose you. Not that we'd let you go down. We may have to beat you again to work on your port side. For now, don't worry. It's all under control. And he has a jubilant voice as he says that. So Paragon, a um, little bit worried, very happy that he got righted and is in the water. And we get an insight into how his parts don't fit together because we know that he's made out of two wizardwood logs. Yes. And... For some reason, his one personality that is overriding the other two cannot have them work together yeah. to, uh, to completely form and move his planks around into alignment easily, at least. Yeah. And it's really interesting that he mentions same old problem. So this is clearly something that is an ongoing issue that oh, he yeah. had before, mm -hmm. um, but this is the first time we're hearing about it and that whole, it just doesn't fit right yeah, but he's trying. He is trying to mm -hmm. fix things and get things together. It's really interesting reading this chapter as someone who doesn't really know anything about ships or how they even work to hear that like, oh, the wood is swelling. And so they have to put stuff in the holes, but they have to also remove the stuff from the hole, the oakum from the holes because the planks will a swell to fill the hole but yeah no so there's a lot going on that's a little bit over my head i think whenever <laughs> i read it but i was like yeah this sounds right <laughs> but from what it seems like he's doing pretty okay he's confident he will not sink or at least he was a little bit ago <laughs> he's slowly getting used to it and pipes up to amber saying i'm afloat again i guess that makes me a ship and not a hulk i guess 
Amber agreed easily. She had been so still and silent he had almost forgotten her. Unlike all other people he had ever known, she sometimes became transparent to his senses. He knew, without even reaching, where Brash and Althea were. A moment's reflection, and he could locate every nameless worker on his deck or in his holds. But Amber was different. She seemed, he thought to himself, more contained and isolated than any other human he had ever known. Sometimes he suspected it was deliberate, that she only shared herself when she chose to, and then only in a limited way. Not unlike himself, he reflected, and then frowned at the thought. Is something wrong? she asked. Not yet, he replies. She laughs lightly as if he jested. So, are you glad to be a ship again? Glad or sorry, it makes little difference. You will do with me as you want to, and my feelings about it will not matter to anyone. I admit, I did not believe you. I did not think I would float again. Not that I particularly wanted to float again. Of course, Paragon being Paragon, he's... Crabby all over. Yep, he's uh, he's turning again to his thoughts of curmudgeonness. <laughs> yes, he's pouty. He doesn't want to admit that he's happy about being in the water. He's back to being crabby. But I do, before we dive into his moodiness, want to go back to his thoughts about Amber not being someone he can sense as well as other humans. Mm -hmm. Same as the wit. Mm -hmm. Is this, do we think, something inherently about a white prophet that they are just so different, they're not the same, so it's different to sense than other humans? Yeah. Or is it a skill that white prophets learn in Claris to hold themselves so tightly inside no i th i think it's i think it's inherent to being a white okay and i can see that kind of set up in like a world building point of view is mm. in the ancient times when the whites were actually whites and not like what one 128th white <laughs> right. or whatever the fool is uh when pure blood whites were there and dragons were there mm. dragons are putting their presence out on everybody Right. Right. And the opposite would just be contained. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like that just makes sense to me. And we do. I mean, Beloved does say on multiple occasions, I believe, that they're not human. Yeah. No, that, they're like, not. They're a different species. And when Fitz heals him at the end of Tawny Man, he remarks on that as well because he's yeah. inside his body trying to like go through his organs and stitch things up and heal him, right. right? And things are just a little off. Yep. Yeah. So there is differences. So I guess, yeah, I, I also am of the belief that it's just an inherent white thing. But I was thinking, I wonder if it's because they're meant to... I don't know if interfere is the right word, but but they're meant to interfere with what is going to happen in the world they kind of control the path right and so they can't be of the path because like with wit for example with the wit fits can feel basically everything except for rocks right and sometimes can feel a glimpse of the fool but beloved just does, isn't Fully on the radar and so i don't know it's, it really gives that otherworldly special being property of right. that like sense of 
they know what's going to happen. And so they're not of the world. They're just in it. (laughs) I don't know. I like it. So Amber is kind of speaking up in what she thinks is Paragon's best interests and trying to get him into continue to stay in a good mood saying like, no, 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 your feelings do matter. You know, um, somehow I do not believe that you truly wanted to remain on the, on the beach there. Remember you once angrily told me that you were a ship and ships are meant to sail. You're not, you weren't growing there. I think this is going to be good for you. You were close to giving up and believing yourself a failure. Her voice was affectionate. Suddenly he could not stand that. Did they think they could force him to do something and then pretend it was for his own good? He laughed harshly. On the contrary, I knew I had succeeded. I'd killed them all, every one of them who tried to oppose me. You are the ones who refuse to believe me a success. If you did, you'd have the good sense to fear me. An instant of horrified silence followed his words. He felt her let go of the railing and stand up straight. Paragon, when you speak like that, I refuse to stand and listen to you. Her voice held no hint of what she was thinking. Oh, I see. Then you were afraid but she had turned and resolutely walked away. She made no reply at all. He didn't care, so he had hurt her feelings. So what? No one cared anything about his feelings. No one ever asked him what he wanted to do. Oh. He... Mm, typical Paragon, you know, yeah. lashing out. Lashing out, and it's not true. Amber especially does clearly care and does ask what he wants all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's this weird little putting himself in that shell of hate to like, nobody cares about me. I'm the only one who cares. I don't have to care about them. I mean, in his own twisted way, I I understand his feelings there though. When Amber is like, no, you were rotting on the beach. You'll see, this is going to be good for you. We're, We're doing this to you. He has no like agency or real choice in the matter. Right. And then he's like, what, they're just going to force me to do this and then pretend it was good for me. I understand his feelings. Definitely. Right. No, I'm yeah. But also it is good for him. <laughs> yes. No, I don't. I think how he feels is definitely valid, especially because he hasn't super been, he hasn't been a very big fan of what's going on. He has been very vocal about not wanting to do it. Right. However, it's hard with Paragon because that wasn't really an option anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Amber previously did give him the option of staying in the sand or going back out to sea. So I think if there was, if there was the ability to give him more of a choice, it would have been handed to him. And like you said, it is good for him. It will be good for him. And it's awful to hear that from people who are doing things that you don't want them to do. But yeah, in this case, I think it's true. Mm-hmm. I do feel bad for Paragon here, but I also want to bring up his line. I knew I had succeeded. I'd kill them all. Every one of them who tried to oppose me. You are the ones who refuse to believe me. Do you think he's being honest here? Um, in his own way, yeah. Because he's talking about how like, oh, you know, you were close to believing yourself a failure and then trying to turn it into like a scary thing. Like, no, mm-hmm. I, I was a success. Mm-hmm. 
me killing all my crews, that was a good thing. You yeah. know, I, I succeeded in my task. And I think in his own way, he's saying like, yeah, because he killed uh, the crew, Igret's crew. Right. Because Kenneth poisoned them with wizard wood in their drink or something like that. Mm. And that killed all of them. So I guess Paragon did kill them. He's killed other crews before, and we don't know what happened on those decks. So I can only take him at face value and say, like, in his own twisted way, they opposed one of his three personalities Mm. and or maybe five personalities, depending on the boy, the young adult, the adult and the two dragons. You know, we don't know which one that would be. We don't know why or how, but I'm taking that face value there. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that he is being very deliberately vague with his words by making it seem like it's about the people, the Ludlucks or that crew that he left Bingtown with. But like you said, I think it's more about Igret's crew and they did oppose him by... Mm -hmm. By hurting Kenneth. By hurting Kenneth and by thinking there was nothing he could do to stop the situation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I definitely think it's one of those things where he's trying to scare everybody, but I think he really means this. I think he does find getting rid of Igret's crew a success. And because he has parts of Kenneth, it wouldn't surprise me if it's those parts that are that proud of it, that are like, I did this. Mm -hmm. Because Kenneth kind of did i mean it all like you said it also has to do with paragon and directly involves paragon but i think yeah it makes sense to me that that's something that he would actually be proud of but would be able to use to scare people because they don't know the story yeah well he had a witness to that conversation with amber clef was standing there the whole time and clef asks why are you like that doesn't respond and clef once again asks why are you like that like what ergon finally asks in annoyance you know all us mad or crazy fighting saying stuff to be mean how else do you expect me to be joyous that they've dragged me out here all excited to go off on a harebrained rescue mission with them he felt the boys shrug you could be i could be i'd like to know how It's easy. You decide to be. You decide to be happy. I should just forget everything that has been done to me and be happy. Tra-la-la-la, like that? You could. Look at me. I could have hated every one of them. I decided to be happy. Decided to take what I could get. Make a life out of it. A pause. It's not like I'm going to get another life. Gotta make this and work. It's not that simple, Paragon snapped. Could be, Clef insisted, and no harder than deciding to be all- mad all this. The boy sauntered away slowly. His bare feet scuffed lightly on the deck. But it's a lot funner, he called back over his shoulder. And that's, it's a good point, because Clef could have been living life incredibly angry at anyone from Bingtown. Yeah. He was taken in a slave raid from his family and his family died during that. But instead he just kind of latched himself onto Brash and said, well, this is my life now. Yeah. And 
He's choosing to stay in the moment and choosing to be happy. It's as simple as that of just not letting yourself wallow. Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously for some people that's easier than others, but I think he's coming at it with a a boy's naivety of, you know, Paragon's complex issues, but But it's a good perspective. Yeah. And there is truth to that. Yeah. 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 It is. It is mindset, right? You, there's other things too, obviously, but mostly you have to decide you want to be happy. You have to decide that you'd rather spend your time being happy than angry. And that's only a choice you get to make. Mm -hmm. And like, like Paragon says, it's more fun to be angry. It's easier for Paragon to be angry. Clef says it's funner to be happy. That's what I mean. Oh, okay. Okay. But I definitely think for Paragon, it's easier to be angry. It's Mm -hmm. easier to just block everybody out. Protects him more. It does. And it makes a lot of sense. I think it is very true to him, but I do love Clef's simple. Well, just decide to be happy. Yeah. You know, just choose you. You only have this life, which is a little bit funny knowing that he is a reincarnated dragon two dragons <laughs> reincarnated so there's more than one life for well, they didn't at least quite dragons. get to be reincarnated <laughs> <laughs> but we know they will eventually, yeah not yet so. um but no and also again re- basically reincarnation of the three ludlucks who died on his mm-hmm. ship so yeah. like i don't know very interesting but yeah i don't know i really love it and i love that Clef is the one to do it because mm-hmm. it feels a lot more sincere and like it's coming from a place of understanding, I guess. Right. Because Clef has gone through something similar. Mm-hmm. It's not the exact same, obviously, but like you said, Clef had a horrible thing happen to him. Multiple horrible things happened to him and he's choosing to move forward with this mm-hmm. yeah. and be happy. And I think that's really brave. And I love it. Well, we switch over to Althea as Paragon is left there to think about that and Clef walking away. And Althea, we catch up with her on the inside of the hall where she was directing the men, resealing the hall and recaulking and everything like that and running the pumps. Mm -hmm. And she thinks that they've done a lot better than she originally thought that they might. But the people in the pumps are getting tired, so she needs to go tell Brashen to find replacements mm-hmm. and meets Brashen on the way down with those replacements. So we get a little insight that Brashen is very good at running things yes. as well there. And that they're in sync, I think. Yeah. It really shows that like they know what's needed. Mm-hmm. So they get a little update on how the ship is doing. Um, Althea says the wood is swelling fast, but the wizard wood does that. If he were any other live ship, I'd say he could apply himself a bit and close up half the leaks. But with Paragon, I fear even to ask him for fear he would do exactly the opposite. How is he? Brashen scratches his head and says, I don't know. When we were getting off the beach, he was yelling commands and suggestions as as if he were eager to be afloat again. But like you, I'm afraid to assume that is so. Sometimes all it takes to plunge him into a foul temper is to assume that he's in a good mood. I know what you mean. She met his eyes, commiserating. Brashen, what have we let ourselves in for this time? While he was on the beach and he was our only hope, it seemed a viable plan. But now that we are out here, 
Do you realize how completely we are in his power? He holds our lives in his hands. For a moment, the sailor looked very tired. His shoulders sank in discouragement. Then he drew in a deep breath. Don't stop believing in him now, Althea, or we are all lost. Don't show him any sign of fear or doubt. Paragon is more child than man. When I give Clef an order, I don't watch him to see if he'll obey. I'd never let him believe he had more power over me than I had over him. Boys can't deal with that. They'll be groping for the limits until they find them. They only feel safe when they know where the boundaries are. She tried to smile at him. You speak from experience? The smile he returned her was a sickly one. By the time I found the boundaries, I had fallen off the edge of the world. I won't let that happen to Paragon. He pauses, looks as if he's going to say something more, shrugs, and then turns and walks off. So I really like that, again, we have somebody trying to parent Paragon. Yeah. This time it's Brashen instead of Amber. And, and again, a lot of parallels between Brashen and Paragon's stories, yeah. which is kind of a main theme for Brashen's chapters. Yeah, definitely. Just that he wants to redeem Paragon and himself, mm-hmm. but also wants to protect Paragon from the hardships of life, which is really cute and sweet. <laughs> I mean, a little too late, but it's never too late to start helping, I guess. But yeah, just a sense of it's coming from a place of care, not wanting to control. Right. And I think that's really important about it. Well, Thea is thinking through everything, sees Brash and turn back to work, and she's like, oh, I got work to do as well. And is thinking about how the ship is fitting together, how things seem to be working okay, and perhaps she dared to hope Paragon was cooperating after all. A live ship could do much to maintain himself if he chose to do so. And she remarks on how strange it is to move through it, because everything is upright for the first time. Yeah. In over 30 years, they're used to walking around with it canted at probably a 30, 45 degree angle, something. Right. And she grew up playing on Paragon. So yeah, yeah. it's really weird to, <laughs> to be in the ship now upright. There are some repairs that need to be done and maybe even replacements of some of the things that have slid out of place or broke. Like the stove. Like the stove, like windows that can wait, but they'll need to be replaced as well. And there's the master stateroom had suffered likewise. Amber's chest of belongings had spilled. A scent of a vial of scent had fallen and smashed, leaving the room reeking of lilac. As Althea stood looking about, the future became real to her. Amber would have to move her things out of here and assume the humbler quarters befitting the ship's carpenter. Then Brashen would move in. She had reluctantly accepted that he must captain this ship. She did not agree with any of his arguments. Her reasons were more personal. When they recovered Vivacia, she would need to be able to step off Paragon's deck and assume command there. If she were to captain, if she were captain of the Paragon, that would prove very unsettling to a ship that was already flighty. Whoever sailed out as per- Paragon's captain must stay with him for the return journey. It would have to be Brashen. And I want to pause there and ask: Didn't Brashen say that as one of his reasons? Yes, he absolutely okay, did. Okay, that's what I thought, <laughs> Althea. Uh huh. It's. She didn't agree with any of his reasons, except for the one. <laughs> well, this was her personal reason. Exactly. You know? <laughs> she thought of this all on her own. <laughs> uh, 
be fair, I think he specifically only said that she would need to be with Vivacia. Vivacia eventually. So she's adding that, oh, it would be really bad for Paragon. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I think that's why she feels like it's her idea, not his. But uh, I don't know. She's reaching for sure. So she's going through some of the chambers here and recalling that the live ships built in the old style cared more for cargo space than crew comfort. And it's kind of looking at some of these quarters and moving on and on and on here, going through and just kind of taking in the scenery now that it's upright. When she went on deck, she found Brashen pacing about. He was restless and yet triumphant. He turned to her immediately. We're holding steady. There's still water coming in, but no more than a two-man pump crew can keep up with. I think by tomorrow morning, he'll have tightened up. We've a bit of a list, but a proper ballast should handle that. There was a light in his face she had not seen since he had sailed on Vivacia under her father. His step was brisk. Nothing has cracked, nothing sprung. Our luck on this is almost too good to believe. I knew live ships were tough, but this beats all. Any other ship that had been beached for thirty years would be rot and kindling. His exuberance was contagious. She followed as he strode about the ship, pausing to shake a railing to see how much give it had in it, or open and shut a hatch to see if it was still square. There was still a great deal of work to do on the Paragon, but most of it would be refitting rather than rebuilding. We'll stay with the barge for a while to let his wood swell, then we'll move him to the west wall to finish. With the other live ships? Elthea asked uneasily. Brashen rounded on her in a matter almost challenging. Where else? He is a live ship. Elthea spoke bluntly. I fear what they may say to him, that a thoughtless remark may set him off into one of his frenzies. Elthea, the sooner we start dealing with that, the better. He stepped closer, and for a moment she thought he would take her arm. Instead, he gestured her to accompany him as he strode forward toward the figurehead. I think we should plunge him into a normal life, treat him as we would any live ship, and see how he reacts. The more we tiptoe around him, the more tyrannical he will become. Do you really think it's going to be that simple? Start treating him normally and he'll start behaving normally? No, of course not. But it's where we'll begin and hope for the best. She found herself grinning back at him. Something in her responded to him on a level her intellect could not reach. She could not reason with the attraction she felt. She only knew it was a pleasure to see him moving and speaking as he once had. But yeah, I was uh, I was going to pause and, and just talk about how their interactions here are, yes, they're, they're friendly. They're returning back to normal, but both of their thoughts are running. Man, there's something there. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, I thought he was going to grab my arm. Oh, I, I wanted to say something else to Althea. <laughs> uh-huh. But will they, won't they? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely that budding friendship slash relationship happening. And... I like seeing Brashen in such a positive light from Althea. I think this is the nicest she has talked about him ever, period. (laughs) Even when he was, even when we started the book. Yes. She was still like, oh, know-it-all Brashen. He thinks he's so too good. But now it's like, oh, he had a a light in his eyes and a jaunt in his step. (laughs) I haven't recognized this man since my father was the captain and... I'm so proud of him and 
whatever, which we've been given no indication that she felt fondly <laughs> of that time of with Brashen. I mean, a little bit like she enjoyed their friendship, but there has seemed, at least from the way the books have been going, seems like there's always been some weird tension between them of Althea thinking she should have more power than Brashen and Brashen being like, no, you don't have more power than me. Right, yeah. <laughs> so it's really cute. And I don't know. I like it. It's nice. It's fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> well, they saunter up to the figurehead and Brashen calls out to Paragon, who ignores him. And then Brashen asks a question. Do you hate me for this? For an instant, she thought he addressed the ship, but then he glanced at her quizzically. For what? He faced her and spoke with a bluff honesty she remembered well. For standing here, as I never believed I would. For standing on my own deck as Captain Brashen Trell of the live ship Paragon, where I know you'd love to be. Despite his efforts at gravity, a smile broke over his face. Something in it brought tears to her eyes. She turned hastily to look out over the water lest he see them. How hungry had he been for this moment, and for how long? I don't hate you for it, she said quietly. It was true, she realized. It surprised her that there was not even one splinter of jealousy in her soul. Instead, she felt a rising joy at seeing him triumph. She gripped Paragon's railings. You belong here. So does he. After all these years, he's in good hands. How could I be jealous? She stole another glance at him. The wind stirred in his dark hair. His own chiseled features could have been a figurehead. <clears throat> Again. Cute. <laughs> I think my father would have slapped you on the back and congratulated you, and warned you, as I do now, that when I have my own vivacious under me again, you won't hold a candle to us. She smiled back. She smiled at him, holding nothing back. Yes. So, I don't know. I kind of love this. I love how there's this, like, tender moment between them, and we really see... And an honest moment yes. as well. Yeah, an honest moment. I think it really paints a picture of why Brashen and Althea are a better fit than Althea and Greg, because I think just having Brashen be a captain and she's not jealous shows that on some level they're better for each other, right? Right. Because I think there was a sense of, I don't know if I would say jealousy per se, but closer to jealousy of with Greg of him being able to have his own live ship and everything's kind of handed to him and he is clearly deserving and a good person to take on the role that he has been given, but it just was different with mm -hmm. him. Like his want to do that didn't feel like something that she should care about. And in this we have, Finally, a good character moment for Althea. Yes. Finally realizing something other than herself when he's like, I'm Captain Brash and Troll of the live ship Paragon. Despite his efforts at gravity, a smile broke over his face. Something in it brought tears to her eyes. She turned hastily to look out over the water lest he see them. How hungry had he been for this moment and for how long? She's like finally questioning that mm -hmm. and realizing that it's not just her who wants to be a captain of the live ship Vivacia, her father's ship. Uh -huh. It's Brashen, who was in line to be a captain of a live ship, mm -hmm. threw it away at 14 mm -hmm. and forever thought he was going to be nothing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he can get redeemed. 
Yeah. And I, I also love that. The, the grown upness of Althea Riesland realizing other people have dreams and yes, hardships. Other, yeah. <laughs> other people are also living this life. <laughs> yeah. She's not the main character anymore. No. Yeah. It is really refreshing. I think it's what makes this scene so good, maybe, and so easy to like because there isn't that, well, he doesn't really deserve it or whatever like, under. Well, I would be better as captain. Yes. Even, she drops know. that and realizes, oh, Rashin has stuff that he wants and I'm so glad that he got it you know yeah yeah I never thought about that but it makes me happy to see him achieve that Mm -hmm. and I don't know something about that like you said I think it is a really good character growth for her especially after having her humbly ask what she is needed for instead of telling Brashin what she's going to do which actually makes me me think on Brashin's character and really appreciate him because in all of their arguments and from his point of view, he mm-hmm. never once thought like, why her and why not me? Yeah. He always was like rationally like, yeah, you should be captain eventually. But there are reasons why like you can't just be a woman sailor and right. like, for safety reasons. But like when she was arguing against it, it's just not like I need to get my own. Right. It was there are specific reasons that you can't. Yeah. He wasn't coming at it from like, oh, because you're a woman, I don't believe you could be. Or I want to be a captain first. It wasn't like that selfish kind of. Yeah. It was more, okay, I get it. But like, you got to learn more. You can't just be a captain. (laughs) And then when they were arguing about Paragon, it was like, there are good reasons why you can't. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I agree. I do think it, it speaks volume to the character of Brashen that, he isn't selfish in that way. Yeah. To be fair, he probably could use being a little bit more selfish considering how low his self-esteem is. <laughs> right, but, right. Um, but I don't know. I think they're good counters in that way to each other's personality. They really... She she flies high and he makes sure that she doesn't get burnt by the sun, you know? <laughs> well, the last point of view of this chapter, we jump back over to Paragon and it's kind of right before they walk up to the figurehead to begin with. Yes. So Paragon heard them coming and he's thinking like, oh, they're just gossip, gossip, gossiping. They'd always rather talk about him than to him. They thought he was stupid. They probably thought it was no good talking to him about anything. So he didn't feel a bit sneaky about listening in. So he's about to listen in and then Mm -hmm. he pauses. And it was not only their words that carried more clearly to him but their feelings he lost his irritation in a brief sense of awe yes he could feel them much more clearly now almost as clearly as he could have felt one of his own family he reached toward them very cautiously he didn't want them to be aware of him not just yet their emotions were strong brashen was heady with triumph and althea shared it something more was there too something else passed between them He didn't have a word for it. In some ways, it felt like the salt water soaking into his wizardwood planks. Things were resuming their rightful places. Lines that had been skewed were coming back into true. He sensed the same adjustment between Brashen and Althea. The tension between them was one they accepted. It acted as a counterforce to easiness between them. He tried to find a simile for it, like wind in his sails. Without the force against the canvas, he could not move. 
It was not a tension to be avoided, but one to be courted, as they did. And it wasn't until Brashen leaned over the railing and spoke to him that he realized how close they had come, because he is marveling that he felt a connection with somebody. Yes. Not quite family level, but getting close to that. But it is close, and there is more of that sense. And I did want to bring this up, too, because I find this really interesting that we just had that chapter with Ringsgold who said... They didn't leave me alone even for a second so that I couldn't remember who I was. Mm -hmm. They filled me with their memories and washed over who I once was. I didn't even have a chance of remembering. And here we have Paragon who was left alone for 30 years. And I don't, I guess we had that little hint that he potentially knows that he was a dragon or what two dragons. Yeah. When he tried to drown himself. And sank mm-hmm. to the bottom. Serpents talk to him. Yes. And he knows about the serpents. But we don't know how much he actually knows. I mm-hmm. think we find out later. I just don't recall it off the top of my head. But I think he knows more than people think. Yeah. So there is that. But he's still distinctly Paragon. Yeah. Because he... And- I think it's because he has parts of Kenneth in him. Mm, and I think it's okay. because like that solidifies him so heavily and he's so scared of both of the dragons yeah, that's that fair. are like driving him mad that if it was a single dragon live ship that was left alone without the trauma of like having one of your partners in there just right. for some reason a live ship, I think they would remember more. Okay. And maybe be more like Bolt. Later, like Vivacious becomes Bolt and just a little bit more like dragon taking over kind of thing. Mm. But I think Paragon is centered around the human and the humanity and his pull between all of the personalities and all of his beings because of Kenneth. Okay, that's fair. I was also going to mention that Paragon himself several times mentions that while he's on the beach, he just feels off like he can't remember things he's disappearing the memories are leaving Mm -hmm. and that doesn't necessarily seem to be something that is remedied by even amber living on him i mean it helps a little he does he is able to recall more things but he still isn't recalling everything because it links to the log books does it is there Mm -hmm. log books in him now no it's when they sail to keyhole island and kenneth's mom Boards him and brings the logbooks back. Mm. And then he and the mom, the mother, as much as she can kind of gabble, but I mean, he yeah. can feel her feelings and communicate with her because she's family. Right. Um, although technically not blood family. Maybe it counts. I don't but know. still family. Yeah. yeah. It's magic. Um, exactly. <laughs> I think he starts to remember more and more through okay. that. So for some reason, the logbooks actually... Are part of their memory. Are a okay. part of their memory. I was going to point out, though, how much more he seems to sense with water on him and how interesting that is to me. And I was wondering if part of that is because, so the Wizardwood Logs have silver, clearly, right. with on them, in them. Something about them is silver. And so I wonder if it's like, the roads, the magic silver roads to Kelsingra, where they know that they're a road and they stay a road even hundreds, thousands of mm-hmm. years later. He's always been a ship 
And so once he acts more like a ship, more things yeah, come back. More things come back. It's more he hmm. becomes more colored and real because he's fulfilling the purpose that he yeah, was maybe, made. Maybe. And I don't know. It just like something about it rang like, oh, this feels like it's an important law of mm-hmm. the magic, but I can't quite place my finger on what it is. Right. Because I mean the live ships are so counter to the regular magic system mm-hmm. that we know. Because yeah. it's that in-between state like I was talking yeah, about before. Yeah. And yeah, so but that that's a good fact to bring up, a good link. Yeah, because there is I think there is a stark difference, even though he doesn't have logbooks yet, there is a stark difference of beached paragon versus in the water paragon, even just for what a couple hours there's clearly some changes happening and he's able to sense people he has he could sense brashen and althea on his ship before but now he's talking about it in more vibrancy and Mm -hmm. more realism and so i don't know i I think yeah yeah. so as paragon is becoming aware that they moved closer than he thought as he's reveling in that newfound connection and that vibrancy that you were talking about emma Mm -hmm. He hears from Brashen to Althea and from Althea to Brashen and all those feelings that are kind of included in there. He hears and feels the pride in Brashen's voice as he says, Captain Brashen Trell of the live ship Paragon. The words thrummed through the ship. Brashen spoke with more than pride. With fondness, possession, Brashen had longed to claim him. Not just for this rescue, and not because he was cheap and available. He wanted to be captain of the live ship Paragon. In wonder, he sensed Althea echoed his feelings. They both truly felt that he was where he belonged. Something long closed and Paragon opened. A tiny spark of self-worth suddenly burned in the darkness. Don't bet on it, Vestrit, he said quietly. He grinned as he felt them both start and then lean over the railing to try to see his face. His arms were still crossed on his chest, but he sank his bearded chin onto his chest in self-satisfaction. You may think you and Vivacia can show us up, but Trell and I, we still have a lot to reveal. You haven't seen the half of us yet. I'm tearing up. Yeah. (laughs) So we end on a positive note for Paragon, which is... (laughs) It's yeah. few and far between, and it's it's great to see finally that small spark kind of light him up and be like, I can be something. Somebody yeah. does want me. And I, I really love that he is connected enough to these two people that he is able to really feel that. This isn't fake. They're not trying to trick him. They, yeah. They're not just doing what they want to do and saying, well, it's good for you. And despite his paranoia, he can't deny them because he can feel that sincerity. Exactly. He can tell how excited they are for Paragon and for Brashen and how much Brashen wants this because it's Paragon, not just because he wants to be captain, not just mm-hmm. because this is needed, because he loves Paragon and I'm like crying (laughs) because it's so sweet. I don't know. I just love that Paragon gets to feel that love and get, and accepts it because I think that's the most important part. I think he could still feel that and say, Oh, they're trying to trick me. But instead he's kind of like, okay, maybe I can choose to be happy here. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I love that Hap got to help with that. Clef, sorry. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love it. Happens in the next one. <laughs> yes. I love that Clef got to help with that. And I love that he's able to have a warm, fuzzy moment. I don't right. know. He deserves right. it. If anyone deserves it in this series, it's Paragon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for tuning in. Following along this week, we've uh, had a an exciting chapter that was uplifting for once. Yes, we get to end on a happy note for the first is time. Is it's in- happy? <laughs> no, but Paragon, Paragon might be. <laughs> <laughs> that should be, while we're doing this trilogy, it should be, is Paragon happy? <laughs> yeah, is Paragon happy? Well, <laughs> this right would be the is. first one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe the second one. He was yeah. pretty happy when he first learned that Amber wanted to build him into a, a fort. Yes. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So we've had like two happy paragons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have thoughts on this chapter, please let us know. We love to hear your theories, your thoughts on the characters. Uh, how do you think the episodes go in general and uh, feedback for us? Yeah. So you can email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com. You can find any of our links on our website, isfitshappy.com. There are links to all of our social medias like Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Twitter, uh, YouTube. All of those are on that website and more. Um, And please rate, review us, and recommend us to uh, fellow fans that you know. We're out there. We're hoping to to speak to more of you. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next week. All right, now we get to talk about some stuff you guys have brought to our attention. My favorite part. (laughs) We're going to start today with an email we got from listener Anna, who is writing in about kind of just a commentary on Hobbes' ability to make these characters so real. Anna starts with talking about how Cirilla's chapter, where the assault occurs, Cirilla really struggles with self-hatred in that yeah and and how she was so weak before and yes and how she really is struggling with that concept and how it's very reminiscent of kennett and how we really see a lot of that mirrored in kennett's character when he thinks about his time with igret yeah Um, and how he was so weak when he was a little boy and that needs to be stamped out yes and so it's really interesting to see two characters who are pretty different i would say at least in i i you say pretty different but it just kind of comes to mind like some of the broader strokes are fairly similar yeah, they I both guess, have a great need for control yeah in their lives after uh very tough early events on in their life mm-hmm. and they both have that self-hatred that anna points out and they exercise those in only slightly different ways. Mm-hmm. And that's because Kenneth is much more charming than Cirilla is. That's fair. But they both try to gather power. They both that's try true. to control their environment to their utmost. So they are always the one in charge. Yeah. And Kenneth has been more profitable at that, but he's had a lot of years yeah. to hone and practice that. That's fair. But yeah, there is a very good similarity there. Thanks for pointing that out. So, yeah. So thank you, Anna, for pointing out those similarities there. Uh, And then Anna goes on to say that this trilogy in particular 
has characters that feel so real and that's what she loves about it. That's why we all have such reactions to the characters. I hate Kyle. I know many Kyles in real in the real world, and I have met Greg. He gives us such nice guy vibes to me, which I wanted to say, I so much agree with that. Greg is a hashtag nice guy. <laughs> he's- mm, I don't think so. I think he's close, but he's not there. He's got a fedora in his closet for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but he only breaks it out for actual good attire he's just like yeah yeah, you know (laughs) he doesn't wear it all the time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there's also nothing wrong with fedoras in general but he's never bought a samurai sword but he's like they could be cool it would be kind of cool to have one he has a spot in his house he would put a samurai sword (laughs) (laughs) i kind of want a sword to be honest that'd be fun yeah well (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i i would agree i think in general these characters are very real and that is a little bit what makes them hateable. <laughs> right. And that that's kind of what brings about people's hatred of certain characters. Like the be- one of the best examples is Harry Potter. Everybody hates Umbridge. Yeah. Right. Because everybody knows Umbridge. But without exception, in every single aspect, Voldemort is technically worse. Yeah. But no one hates him as much. Yeah. You know, he's not as real. He's a boogeyman. Yeah. You don't but know Umbridge. Voldemort. Yeah. <laughs> People have met Umbridge. And the yes. same with Kyle, you know, like we have Kenneth out there who is awful person. Yep. Extremely yeah. awful person, but not many people meet real psychopaths and know their inner feelings because they don't have any. Right? right. Or their inner thoughts. But Kyle, mm. everyone knows a Kyle. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I agree. I would say that's true. It's it's these characters who you could spot in every day. Like we all know a Malta, you know, like we all, yeah. we all know some kid. <laughs> we know a Selden. We know, you know? Yeah. So I think that's a good point. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think Robin Hobb knew Selden when she wrote this book. <laughs> Was Selden in the room? <laughs> yeah. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe Selden wasn't a good choice, but no, it is. I do think that that's a good point that this trilogy really does have those standout characters, especially the hateable standout characters. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Anna's last point in this email is uh, being interested in how we're going to discuss the final trilogy, which is, as uh, they point out so kindly, going to be 10 years or so in the future. Yes. Probably true. Uh, They're talking about how silver can turn the dragon cocoon logs without the dragon body into dragons yes anna says that felt like the most it's magic don't ask questions part of these books to me and i agree i would agree i think it's something that i've been thinking about a lot this book specifically of like how do you retcon that i how how is there an answer that the soul can turn into a physical body or i guess it's not the soul but we have a we have another email we do want to get to but i think this ties into an instagram message that i would kind of want to hope like jump over to right now yeah let's do it um so we got an instagram message from peculiar ponies about the episode with rings gold and talking about the soul and you know the cocoons and live ships and things like that and uh peculiar ponies says that they think the soul is more about identity 
Okay. Because the cocoon is made up of other dragon spit as well, like the memories. Mm -hmm. So the sole remaining identity of the serpent is on the inside. So they spill that identity, that soul out onto the ground when they made the planks, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that fits in with Anna's question there because the live ships have a simulated or a created identity now. Mm. And so with their time allowing the memories to resurface and kind of establish who they they were and that right. one identity, maybe the soul is kind of quote unquote reinstated-ish. Mm. And, and I think we all know that the future books that Robin Hobb hopefully uh, complete soon. <laughs> She's currently <laughs> writing one, but um, I think it's going to be dealing with continuing on the fool's mission of bringing real dragons back mm. because all these dragons released are too human-like. True. And we know what happens when human-like dragons have um, have offspring. They're the others, the abominations. Yes. And so they can't continue to create dragons. So we need like a pure real dragons left and live ships have lots of human lives soaked into them as that identity so i think i think that's yes it's magic and it's hand waving it's like hey now these dragons just fly up off of the the water (laughs) because yeah silver and magic you know but i think a kind of mechanical standpoint they have their identity reestablished, and i think that fits perfectly in with peculiar ponies post that it's they think it's more identity based and it's similar to um, like caterpillar cocooning where it kind of mm. the body turns into a, a liquid goo, a liquid goo and then reassembles into a dragon, you know? Yeah. No. Yeah, definitely. So it's something that we'll be on the lookout for. We obviously won't have time to get into it until like right. Anna so lovingly says 10 years from now. <laughs> and honestly, the magic part of that does not bother me. I That's like fair. books with hard magic systems and soft magic systems. And I'm not afraid to just be like, yeah, it's magic. Cool. Let's move on. That's fair. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm definitely the kind to want an answer of like, well, what do you mean that happened? Why? <laughs> if you guys haven't figured out by now. <laughs> But thank you, Anna. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Anna and Peculiar Ponies. As I said, I, we kind of skipped over one email. So we'll jump back to an email yes. from Jonas, I believe. Yeah. And Jonas is writing in about how dragons and humans communicate. Yeah. This is kind of piggybacking off of our uh, our conversation about how do they understand language what's going on do they communicate just by skill is it vibes based yeah exactly so (laughs) jonas is agreeing with emma's take here that it's pretty much most likely through the skill itself and that they're just connecting on a mental level and i do want to say i think i argued against i I agree with you as well and i think Mm -hmm. in that episode i argued against a point that i was making up hearing Mm -hmm. um and when I was listening back while editing, I do agree with you that and want to revisit the point of dragons can talk to anybody they can connect to with their magic. Right. And again, it's we say skill loosely because. Right. That's just what we. Yeah. It's dragon magic, which I think is slightly separate. It, well, yeah, <laughs> it, it really depends because they literally consume skill, pure right. skill. So exactly. it's got to be related. Um, but they can communicate with anybody who has that capacity. But people like Purr 
in the final Perseverance does not have the capacity and would uh, cannot hear dragons. Yes. And so I think that's what you were hinting at and talking around and I kind of was off on a tangent or yeah, that's okay. <laughs> talking about something else. So yeah, I, I uh, just wanted to chime that in there and Jonas does agree or lean towards what Emma was saying. And Jonas says, I think it's more about essence, meaning, intent, connection, and not human language. However, if, th- if this is true, the live ships who turn into dragons, do they understand Bingtown language? Or maybe dragon magic and skill makes them understand the language through the intent and through the connection with whoever they're communicating which, with. So before you, there's like a last question in there as well, but before we move on, that brings up an interesting point because we talked about dragons understanding a language and I brought the bards and Jonas says, yeah, I think they just get that through the connection and the intent and the, right. the feeling in their mind through that connection there. But live ships have a human mouth and spoke out human loud. languages out loud and understand, listen, listened, knew the language, absorbed human lives. Will those dragons know language? My guess is yes, but their dragon mouths won't be able to form it. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I think... I think they're definitely... So I don't know if it matters. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, yeah, ultimately. But I mean, I think a big thing is live ships speak and people who are not part of Bingtown can hear them speak and see them move. Yes. And so I think that's especially a big factor of they for sure know whatever language Bingtown people speak, if not more languages, if they've traveled a distance port. Mm -hmm. So... Absolutely, in my mind, that means that would carry over because I think the live ship dragons would carry over. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think a big part of dragons is that they learn from all the memories they gather. Right. And I feel like that would just make the most sense to me that they could. But like you said, maybe they're not able to form the words. I don't know. Maybe you could talk with a dragon mouth. In human words, it would just sound weird. I'm just trying to imagine, like, if I had a dog-shaped mouth, (laughs) would I be able to form the same words? It would probably sound funky, but potentially they could. I don't know. Very hard to say. Although, birds can talk, so I don't know. I'll I'll say it's possible. could happen. But I don't know if that would really matter at all yeah because it kind of seems like they get enough out of the communication through vibes so (laughs) the last uh the last sentence here in jonas uh jonas's email is could a very skilled skill user but this is like almost a tongue twister could a very skilled skill user skill so well with someone to overcome the language barrier and understand the other despite not having the same language I want to say yes, and I don't think they have to be that skilled to do so. And I will tell you why. Yeah. Because Verity is able to confuse the Red Ship Raider ships. Yep, the Out Islanders. And the Out Islanders. And he doesn't have to speak in a language to do that. Right. He is giving them an idea in their head. Mm-hmm. So I. Th- but I think Jonas's specific question is about communication, not necessarily misleading them with what they see mm, or what they feel enough. because that's mainly I think what Verity was doing. Right. But I still agree with you that I think that yes, a skill user could communicate, but I think since skill users 
are they're just so much less powerful than right. dragons. It would either have to be a mutual connection or that skill user, as Jonas says, would have to be very skillful, skillful or very powerful like Verity at the end of his days with the silver on him. Because he could like, there's a few times I think in Assassin's Quest where he just kind of didn't say anything out loud. But yeah. Fitz clearly heard him in his mind. And they had a connection, obviously. Right. But... And spoke I, the same language. <laughs> yeah, I think it's something like that where it would either have to be a mutual connection between the two, them reaching out to one another or letting the other in um, or a very, very powerful skill user. But I think it is possible hmm. because it would be the same kind of thing, right? That's yeah. what Jonas is talking about. I think we both subscribe to that vibes-based communication with dragons. <laughs> so it just makes sense that that could translate, although to a lesser ability, to skill users as well. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I definitely, yeah, I think it's possible. I think skill seems to transcend barriers, but I would agree that the ability of current skill users is probably not there because of the years of destroying all the information and making them weaker. Like maybe Galen could have done it if he wanted to for whatever reason. <laughs> And maybe he did. I mean, don't they communicate with the pale woman to let her know stuff? I think that, skill? I think that was, I don't know if it was through skill at all. Mm. And I guess I she does speak their language anyway. So and she is not skilled. It was, um, Kebel Robred mm. who was skilled, a skilled catalyst. But yeah, I think they just like traded through messengers and stuff because they traded the scrolls. Right, right. You're right. Okay, well, either way, yeah. I, I definitely think it's possible, uh, but I, I don't know that they have to be that skilled to do it. I mean, if anybody is just not protecting their mind, they're vulnerable to skill. And therefore, if you found somebody who was capable of being open to the skill in a faraway enough country that you had no idea what their language was, I think you could still communicate with them if they didn't have a barrier up even if you weren't that powerful. Okay, yeah. But you'd have to be very powerful to do it to somebody who did have a barrier up, obviously. Right. Yeah, so thank you, Jonas, for thinking of those questions and bringing that up. So we have um, also have a direct message from listener Hedwig, who has two different things that they were talking to us about. The first thing is for episode 181, about the Rainwild sympathy bells. Yeah, that's the uh, the bell that rang across the bridge and Greg could hear it in the cabin when Althea crossed that bridge. Yes. So Hedwig says, were the elderlings super advanced in physics and did they suss out how to harness quantum, quantum entanglement? Is that how these bells work? By connection between entangled particles? I would like to stress I know virtually nothing about quantum physics. And also <laughs> brings up maybe elderling Wi-Fi. <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting thing, and I think that's explored in a lot of fantasy books, and I kind of like it subtly brought in here just on a you know crackpot theory as well. Uh-huh. But we love a tinfoil hat theory. Yeah, a lot of fantasy books or even sci-fi books-ish kind of portray, is magic just science, super mm -hmm. advanced science that we don't understand, or is it magic, you know? So it's kind of fun to bring that in there. Yeah, yeah, I'm not really sure what I believe. All I know is that... I, I believe in this world is magic, personally. Yeah, that's fair, that's fair. 
just magic. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I know my grandma has one in her driveway. She's a lives on a farm, has a really long driveway. And whenever you go up the driveway, there's a bell that rings in her house from a sensor on the road. Yeah, not and not a physical bell. No, um, not, like the, these not, would be. But. Yeah, not a physical <laughs> bell. But that's what I think of it whenever. Digital. Yes, whenever I think of that that chapter in that scene, I think of that bell. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, it did feel like magic. Yeah. Whenever there would be a bell ringing in the house because a car drove up the driveway. I'd be like, how does it know? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I still don't know how it works, but I love the idea that it is just that the, the elderlings have figured out quantum physics. Right. <laughs> Hedwig also has some thoughts about Devad. Yeah. About Devad Restart and kind of, Wondering what's going on in his head because we don't really get to see that. Yeah. And why he decides to do what he does in general. And Hedwig has some theories on Devad's ancestor, how their ancestor must have moved to the cursed shore, wanting a fresh life, a, a new lease on it. And that's why they chose the name Restart. Yeah. Yeah. So, fresh start, mm-hmm. restart. <laughs> So Hedwig asks, is Devad trying to live up to that family name, philosophy, and motto? And that's interesting. I mean, it's obviously based on a prediction in itself. Right. But I like it. No, I definitely agree. I like the idea of the name having a significance uh, to what the original family thought. And then also that sort of sense of pride of... I'm being what my family has always stood for, which is starting new, starting fresh and keeping with the times changing, Mm -hmm. which he's doing it in a morally awful way, but he is one of the only traders willing to even consider that they need to change their ways. So, right. Yeah. And that's kind of, I mean, I'm curious on if Hobb thought about like the ancestor thing or was just going by this is a good name for this character like again i'm gonna bring up harry potter like (laughs) remus lupin is a werewolf you know yeah or sirius black turns into a shaggy black dog (laughs) (laughs) it's just kind of like a, a name that specifically fits that character or was she thinking of kind of that that ancestor the predecessor moving out there and restarting their life and devad's like i need to do the same thing yeah I don't know. Another question to ask Robin Hobb that we'll never know the answer to, I guess. Yeah, definitely. How much thought did you put into the lineage of (laughs) the Bing Chown traders? (laughs) I mean, I like the idea that there was a little bit of thought, like Ludlock. Right. Like that would be a great thing to change your name to if you're moving to a new Mm -hmm. place. Like I'm lucky. And did that come from the uh Kenneth being a Ludluck and him talking about luck all the time so mm-hmm. Robin Hobb is like oh they should be named Ludluck or did the name come first and then that's why Kenneth talks about luck you know right yeah and his father was nicknamed Lucky you know I, yeah I don't know I don't know but I do like it. I was just I'm trying to think of any other first, the chicken or the egg I guess true yeah I'm trying to think of any other traders who have names or old trader families that have names that would denote their characteristics, but I can't think of a word close to vestret. That's like a attribute. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. But either way, I like the idea. I like the thought process. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Thank you. Hedwig. Yeah, thanks Hedwig. 
We have a couple comments on Facebook. I think we're going to start with one on the previous episode where uh, I believe Bastion brought up a comment about the strength of the whites. I think maybe you had talked about that in an episode, Emma? Yes. Yeah. It, I'm not sure which episode it's from, but we were talking about how I think Amber is freakishly strong because of being a white, <laughs> but uh, the evidence I gave was that Amber was holding a big log really easily in one hand and then Althea grabbed it from her and was yeah. struggling. When when Amber uh, met Althea. Yes, out in the... In the market, um, yeah. Yes. So we talked about that and I think we had a question of whether or not that proves that whites are naturally stronger or mm-hmm. if that even shows that it was heavy. We don't know how strong Althea is. So... Although, but, ba- but Bastion came with um, with some evidence here. Yes. So Fitz often described the fool as scarily strong. And when fool describes the whites of old, he notes that they were extremely tough. When civil Brazinga, who is like 16 years old, goes all out and attacks him on Aslevjal. Aslevjal? Aslevjal, yeah. Aslevjal. Beloved pacifies him without issue, taking him in an iron grip. A better example is when Pale Woman is trying to seduce Fitz. Fitz catches on to her use of skill to entice him, so he tries to strangle her. However, she breaks his grasp without too much trouble, after which it takes three of her forged soldiers to get Fitz to settle down again. So yes, whites are generally stronger stronger than humans. Maybe he got fact-checked in the same episode like two minutes later. Maybe the pale woman can have does have skill. That, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. So I think, thank you for bringing up those examples. Now we know that they're freakishly strong. Yeah. <laughs> because I think also all of the whites that we see at least f- beloved and the major ones, pale woman and the ones that are in the four seats that are yeah. in charge of the servants. Yeah. The servants. Um, they all are described also as being really like thin and wispy and lanky, I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, like I, I picture like ballerinas where they have that, like, they look really petite and yet have that strength, the hidden strength. And I just find that concept really interesting that they're just their race in general is super high powered. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for answering that question for us. Then we had some comments on our last uh, episode that we just put out episode 183. And they were mainly around the question that Emma posed would you rather be a serpent wandering the sea and slowly losing your memory or a live ship forced to forget who you are from quote unquote birth? And a lot of these responses here are impossible choice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. But Amy, really Amy does say I would rather be a serpent because at least they are free. In a sense, the ships are slaves. Agreed. So a lot of people are like, I have no idea because that sounds awful either way. Yeah, I just... <laughs> I feel like it's so hard because either way you lose yourself. Right. Yeah. But I think 
personally, I would prefer to be a live ship because at least then I wouldn't know that I lost part of myself. Yeah. (laughs) It's like sad as that is. Like, even if I'm a slave, at least I don't really know it. You'd have companionship who values you. Yeah. You have a purpose. Yeah. Serpents are just kind of... They're, they're they're sad. They're anxious. They're they've got anxiety for sure. Yeah. I mean, what's going on? Where when am I going to get picked up? Where are the providers? Like, but you know that that's definitely a, a good point. Just not being blissfully unaware of your mm-hmm. issues has its perks. Yeah, uh, in that choice. At yeah, least. in these two choices specifically. Like, yeah. I think I would rather <laughs> not worry about starving to death. <laughs> Yeah. So thank you everybody who participated in the questions and who sent us in their thoughts and theories. As always, we love hearing from you guys and seeing what we have missed or things that you are really excited about or corrections. We love all of it. Please keep sending them in because we really like hearing from you guys. Hope to hear from you soon. 